overcoming pain. And the thought behind this series of Bible stories, we're taking lesser known Bible characters and seeking to learn from their life and seeking to apply it to our lives. Every week, I believe we can come with anticipation. And this week, we're building upon what we began last week. So this is the second part of a story of, of a man named Jabez. If you have your Bibles open to 1 Chronicles chapter number 4. It's in the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles chapter number 4, and we're going to get there in a few moments' time. The underlying theme of this entire series with Bible stories has been to overcome. And with the thought of, and here's our principle for today, let God be God. This is something we actually consciously decide to do. I am going to consciously decide in every aspect of my life, in the big things and also in the small things, when everything's going smooth and also the times of pain, that I'm going to let God be God. God, you are the creator and sustainer of the universe. And I'm not God. You are God. And I'm going to let you be God in my life in the big things and also in the small things. Let me give you a little bit of background of the book of First Chronicles. It was written by a scribe named Ezra, who also wrote the book of Ezra in the Old Testament. He was a man who had lived through the time when the nation of Israel was taken into captivity into Babylon as a judgment on them. But also the real underlying goal was God wanted to bring his people and bring their hearts back to him. And now after several generations, these people are now back in Israel and Ezra is writing a history book of the nation of Israel and helping them understand that they are part of something bigger and greater than just themselves. And it begins in chapter number one, verse number one, with a genealogy that goes for nine chapters. Verse number one, chapter number one says, Adam. And it begins with the very beginning. And it goes through all these generations, all the way until the beginning of the kings. And what that does is it gives these people, as they're reading this, they've been in captivity. They've been living under the authority of a foreign nation for generations. And now God says to them, I have a plan and a purpose for you from the very beginning of creation. I've known exactly who you are and where you fit into this. We need to let God be God. Now, we think about that with Israel. Have you ever thought about that for yourself? From the very beginning of time, God knew who you would be, who you are. And first of all, he still created us. That's pretty amazing. Secondly, he says, I know who you are. I have an eternal plan and an eternal purpose for your life. And you may think to yourself, well, not me. Certainly other people that, that have these talents or this opportunity or this ability, but not just little old me. And that sort of humility is really kind of false humility. False humility in the sense of, oh, no, not me at all. I'm going to challenge us this morning with a different sort of humility. The humility that says, God, I have incredible strength through you. And I'm not too proud or pride filled to say that you give, have given to this to me. That's the positive humility. The positive humility that God, you've given me great strength, great ability, great opportunity, and forces me to be focused upon you and turn my eyes back towards you. We come through this genealogy. 
nine chapters of genealogy. This person beget this person, beget this person, beget this person. And right in the middle, there's two verses that stand out. Verses 9 and verse 10, which we're going to read in just a moment, which gives a short account of a man, a man named Jabez. Verse 9 says this, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. Imagine, your life, your name means something. And you have to walk around saying, Hello, my name means painful. My name means sorrow. Quite literally, Jabez's birth was so traumatic and such a horrible experience that Jabez's mother said, I want absolutely everybody to know how much pain I went through and how much sorrow I went through in having this kid. I'm going to name him Sorrow. So therefore, every single time he introduces himself for the rest of his life and really for all eternity, he has to say, hello, my name is I caused my mother great pain. You know, it should have said pain, and I'm really sorry about it. You know, I'm sorry. Next time, look at, if you're next to your mother, look at them and say, Mom, I'm sorry for causing you pain. Look at your father and say, Father, I'm far, sorry for causing you continual pain. The thought behind this is this man, his identity was pain. And it goes on and it says, here's the real challenge, here's the real change in his life in verse number 10. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, that your hand might be with me, that you would keep me from harm so that it may not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. Jabez is a name that means pain and sorrow. But when we think of Jabez, we think of blessing. And it wasn't because he had extra ability. It was because he focused his pain and focused his circumstances upon the real, true God who could actually solve the pain and replace the pain. My challenge for all of us is we let God be God. But with that is that we have to, in our circumstances, allow God to be God in the the difficult times. Somehow. God, you're going to redeem my pain, redeem my circumstances that are negative, and somehow redeem them for your glory and for my benefit. Last week, the three points of last week were receive your potential. Jabez had great potential. He had to receive his potential. He had to recognize his reality was his reality was his name meant pain and life is difficult. Then finally is rely on your God. That's really what we're speaking of today is the application of rely on your God. It's not in the easy times that draws us and forces us to rely on your God. It's in the difficult times. It's in the times when you say, God, I'm hurting right now. I'm in pain right now. God, I need you. It's not in the easy times that we turn to our God in prayer and it drives us to our knees. It's in the hard times. You ever thought that God can use your pain to transform and mold your heart into who he wants you to be? It's when you get the phone call late at night that some, a loved one is on their way to the hospital. It drives you to your knees. 
It's in the times when you are in a circumstance, whether it's at work or at school, and you're saying, God, I don't know the answer. God, I need you. It drives you to your knees. We rely on your God. Jabez is a man that had a very ambitious prayer. Verse 10 says, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border and that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm so that it may not bring me pain. This could be misinterpreted as being a very self-centered prayer as if we are somehow manipulating God to get on board with us. This is the opposite of that. This is a humble prayer of God. I'm totally relying upon you and I want absolutely your will for my life. And so therefore, give me what it is that you want for me in my life. This is not self-centered ambition. This is God-centered ambition, which equals humility. The thing that personally keeps me very humble is to realize that there's not one second of one day that I have been in total control. I'm always under the control of God in His hand. Our four points this morning prayer of submission, a prayer of expectation, a prayer of direction, and a prayer of dependence. We're going to go through these quite quickly, uh, these four prayers. The prayer of submission is to ask for God's blessing. It says there, oh, that you would bless me. When we pray, we are praying directly to God in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the authority of Jesus, All three members of the Trinity are involved in your prayer. The Bible says that right this moment, Jesus is on the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. That's absolutely incredible what's taking place in heaven at this very moment. It changes our perspective on our prayers. Absolutely, God hears all things. But it changes my perspective on my prayer not to pray flippant prayers. And when I pray, God, will you bless me, is that God, will you do what it is that you want to do in my life? Have you ever stopped and think about how we fit into this grand scheme of the universe? Now, in our world here, we're pretty big. We we accomplish some great things. We have incredible value. The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Have you ever stopped to think about how big you are in the scope of eternity? There's a YouTuber named Mark Rober. And Mark Rober makes a lot of really funny videos. But he talked about one with a perspective of how we fit into the universe. 20 years ago, astronomers did something pretty risky and decided to point the Hubble telescope at the darkest patch of the night sky for 10 days. Now this was risky because time on the Hubble telescope was extremely limited and there was a good chance the image would come back completely dark. So they started exposing the shot and for 10 days, photons entered the telescope on Hubble's CCD detector. And at the end of 10 days, This was the resulting image. With the exception of these single stars, every speck, smudge, and spiral you see in this image is a galaxy with hundreds of billions of stars just like our own Milky Way. And what truly makes this mind-blowing is the portion of the sky represented in this image is the size of Roosevelt's eye on a dime held at arm's length. 
To think about it another way, there are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on all the playgrounds, beaches, ocean floors, and deserts on our planet. So next time you're near some sand, take a handful and just imagine that one of those tiny grains is our sun with its orbiting planets. And then look at the hundreds of thousands of additional grains of sand in your hand, each with their own orbiting planets. And then while holding that, contemplate how many handfuls of sand exist on our planet. You ever stop to think about how big you are? And how big you are in the scope of our galaxy and our universe. And God still knows who you are. And he says, I know you. I created you with a plan and with a purpose. And I want to bless you. But it says in James chapter 4, verse 3, You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Reason why maybe God's not answering your prayers. Maybe we're praying the wrong prayer. I don't know how you pray, but I do know when we ask God for our blessings, God, I want your salvation. I want to know you. I want a relationship with you. I want opportunity to share this with others. I don't see in the Bible where it says, God, give me a million dollars, lotto, lotto, lotto. What we do find is, God, I want to take what, the, what you've blessed me. Will you take what you've blessed me with and multiply it for others so that you can take the little I have and make it huge for you? And that leads us into the next point where we see the prayer of expectation is to ask God for more. Enlarge my border. This is not a matter of a get-rich-quick prayer. God, you're my genie. Give me my three wishes, and I wish for this, 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 and this. What we see here is an expectation. God, you are going to work. Will you take what I have, and will you take my offering, will you take my ability, and will you multiply it for you? I've shared the story in the past about when I first felt a call to ministry and I stood in front of people and began to, to speak and I had pages and pages of notes and my sermons were like five minutes long and I had all these pages and I mean, I was a very popular speaker because everyone got out early and I felt like I, was, I had so much effort into it and it went so fast I left going, God, I can't do this and you know what God said? I know, I know you can't do this you're going to need me along the way. You're going to need me to give you the strength and the power and the ability. I felt that in my own life, and I'm glad that I learned that as a teenager because it's changed my view on so many different opportunities because we look at things and go, God, that is far too big. And God says, I know. Let me come alongside and enlarge your border. Take what the small things that you have and enlarge it for my glory and for my blessing. There's a man named Jim Collins who wrote a book, Good to Great. In his book, Good to Great, he's a Christian author who analyzed many different corporations that were very successful for many years in the stock market. And he analyzed them, and one of the things he brought out was the fact that a great CEO has humility. A good CEO can do some great good things, but a great CEO has humility. They know who they are. And they also have this other thing. I'm going to give you, I'm going to expand your word power here. It's a word called BHAG. You didn't think you're going to learn about BHAG today, did you? BHAG is big, hairy, audacious goal. 
Have you ever thought about, now this is just, I think this is just funny, just keep it in your mind. Because maybe God has something for you that's a big, hairy, audacious goal. God, you have something for me that's bigger and greater than anything I can handle on my own. And maybe even your present day circumstances, your day to day life, the health that you're going through, the family relationships you're going through, your finances, you're thinking, God, I cannot handle this on my own. God, will you please just increase and multiply what little I have? I only have this much strength, God. Will you increase that? Will you give me a big, hairy, audacious goal in, in for my life? Matthew 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In 1949, there was a missionary named Jim Elliott who was preparing to go to Bible college. And Jim Elliott is famous for this particular quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You have to really mull that over for a while to, to get its understanding and meaning. What it means is, I am not a fool. I'm going to give up something that I think is really important today for something that's far bigger and far more eternal. And what makes Jim Elliott's account very powerful is that Jim Elliott as a Bible college student, made a determination that he wanted God to do great things through him. He didn't know how that looked. He just said, God, will you do great things in me and through me? Jim Elliott and four other men, I'm going to read their names with their wives' names. We have Jim and Elizabeth Elliott, Nate and Marjorie Saint, Ed and Mary Lou McCulley, Pete and Olive Fleming, and Roger and Barbara Yolderen. In 1955, they moved to Ecuador, began to reach out to a group of people known as the Unca people. Their name, Unca, meant savage. They were warrior, savage people that were unreached people. And these men said, we want to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. So they began to fly their plane around and they, they, they located the people. They began to try to make contact with them with the goal of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. They landed on a beach a few different times called Palm Beach and began to interact with them. And then in early, as in January 1956, on a particular morning when they began to make contact with these Unka people, they were all five men were murdered on that beach. And you think to yourself, God, how could you possibly take that pain, those families, those children that lost their dads, how could you possibly take that and redeem that in any way? There was a great deal of forgiveness that went out. A great deal of news went out around the world. And even 64 years later, we're still talking about them and they're still impacting people's lives. But in that village where these men were murdered, Elizabeth Elliot, as in Jim Elliot's wife, and another man who was part of that, Nate Saint, his sister, went back and began to live in that village. God worked and that transformed those people. Those five of the men who murdered the, the, the five men, they actually were saved and their families and they became leaders in the church. Something else that's incredible is nine years after their father was murdered, Nate Saint, Kathy and Steve Saint, those two children were baptized in the same river at the same beach that their father was murdered at nine years earlier by two of the men who actually murdered their father. 
That's the power of the gospel. And you look at that story of redemption and it makes me chills down my spine in the sense that they prayed a prayer of God, give me more, not knowing how much more or what that more looked like. They simply said, God, I want to do what it is that you want me to do in my life. With that, it drives us for guidance. That's our third point. A prayer of expectation drives us to a prayer of direction, asking God for guidance. God, I need you to guide me today because I cannot do this on my own. It says that your hand might be with me. I'm going to make some bold statements here. The bold statements are, if you think you are serving God and you don't need God and, and his direction in your life every step of the way, it's probably not from God. If you are trying to serve God and you can do it quite happily all by yourself without account of God or God uh, uh, driving it to your knees in prayer and reliance upon him and needing his sense of direction every step of the way. Let me propose to you. It's a bold statement. The bold statement is it's probably not from God because every single time we see in the scriptures, I've seen this in my own life and in the lives of others. When God has called us to do something, it drives us back into our relationship with God. It drives us to our knees in prayer saying, God, I need you. And if you're not going to be with me, there's no way I can succeed on my own. Maybe there's an area in your life that you're experiencing right now in regard to pain. And it drives you to your knees and and you can actually look back and go, God, thank you for the pain. I didn't enjoy it at the time, but thank you because I'm, I'm the person I am today as a result. Thank you for the the difficulty. Thank you for not making my life so easy. I've learned this, 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 this. And you begin to name off all the things you've learned about God along the way. We have a prayer of direction. And finally, we have a prayer of dependence. Is asking God for protection. The prayer of dependence. It says in verse number 10, that you would keep me from harm so that it may not bring me pain. This blessedness, that we enjoy the purposes of God are so seemingly abstract. One of the most common questions, and this is an excellent question, how do I hear the voice of God? How do I know that God is actually guiding me? How do I know that this isn't just the pizza that I ate last night, an indigestion, and there's actually God working in my life? How do I know these things? If what you're being called to do is driving you to a total dependence upon God, it probably is from God. God, you're going to get all the glory. You're going to get all the praise. But God, also, you're going to have to do all the directing. You're going to have to do all the work. I'll be here. I'll I'll walk where you want me to walk. But God, if you're not with me, there's no way I can do this by myself. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, Jesus taught his disciples in the Lord's Prayer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Hebrews chapter number 13, verses 5 and 6, it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. And it finishes off with a beautiful line, What can man do to me? This morning we've flown through a prayer 
that honestly we could take six weeks as a, as a series and walk through and, and not even scratch the surface of it in, in, in our application in our hearts. But the ending of that, in the last line of that verse in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10, it says, And God granted what he asked. See, Jabez in his pain became more honorable than his brothers because I believe he had the humility to allow God to be God.